Dateline, September 8th, 2014. Well, good day, folks, and welcome to the Australia Desk for episode 315. Well, Grant, uh, I tell you what, uh, after all the hoo-ha last week with uh, that very long uh, Ausdesk we did and all that bad news about all the airlines losing money, it's been pretty quiet this week, actually, over here in this part of the world, so uh, I guess we'll just have to fill in by making David happy and talking about all things past and present when it comes to Australian military aviation. Grant, let's start with the past. What were you up to this weekend just gone? Well, it certainly wasn't quiet on the weekend that we just had, mate, because on the Saturday afternoon, a whole bunch of us got together at the uh, Moorabbin Air Museum, which is uh, the Australian National Air Museum, also referred to as the Australian Aircraft Restoration Group. But down at Moorabbin Air Museum, they have the oldest still surviving CAC Wirraway two-seat trainer aircraft. It's basically the Wirraway was a Harvard or a T6 uh, that was licensed built down here in Australia. Uh, they, air, the whole aircraft was built in Australia. The engine was built in Australia. The fuselage is covered with fabric as opposed to the metal that you find on a Harvard. And uh, it's uh, built to the same concept, but slightly different. Uh, so it was called the Wirraway. And A20-10 is the oldest still surviving one. It was pulled out into the uh, open air and the engine was run. Uh, looked beautiful in its uh, silver pre-war colour scheme. And, uh, yeah, it uh, made a fair bit of noise. I believe that aircraft was the eighth such aircraft to come out of that factory or something similar. Something like that. They've got some really interesting aircraft down there. at uh, Moorabbin Airport is uh, Melbourne's uh, large uh, GA airport down there in the uh, southern suburbs of the city. And uh, the, the museum there's got some interesting aircraft. The one I always uh, find really interesting to look at, they've got an old uh, fairy gannet out the front with its twin propellers. And uh, a long time since that aircraft's been in the air, but uh, rather still an imposing-looking machine after all these years. Yeah, it definitely is, mate. Uh, it's got twin turbo shaft engines driving into a uh, bit of an interesting gearbox that in turn drive a pair of contra-rotating props up the front. It was a, a sub-hunter uh, back in the 50s, 60s area. Um, definitely British design. <laughs> but uh, they also have some other static aircraft like the uh, CA-27 uh, Sabre, which is the Australian-built version of the F-86. They have uh, some helicopters, a number of civilian airliners and so on, all parked out there. Uh, But then inside the hangar, they've got an old bow fighter and a number of other aircraft that they're working on. Uh, They also had a uh, series, which was uh, sort of like a Wirraway, but beefed up and on steroids that was used for aerial agricultural work. It's a, it's a wonderful museum. I am proud to be a member and they have lots of great stuff in there. And folks, actually, if you'd like to uh, check out the website, particularly if you're an Australian listener and you haven't been out to Moorabbin for a while, uh, aarg.com.au is the website. We'll pop that in the show notes and uh, well worth a look if you're ever down there, you know, perhaps doing some plane spotting at Moorabbin, perhaps even looking at how badly I land aircraft these days when I land there, Grant. Yes, well, we're trying to entice you away from uh, Turidan to come and land at Moorabbin, but uh, mate, I'll tell you something. A couple of Australian aircraft were landing a little bit further away from home than just tirred into Moorabbin. Very true. In fact, uh, the Royal Australian Air Force, uh, you know, they've had quite... You've got to remember, folks, the Royal Australian Air Force is uh, a smaller air force by world standards, and they've been very, very busy. The operational tempo, obviously, over the last probably decade has been uh, very high, um, you know, participating in uh, joint exercises overseas and obviously uh, the Middle East and all that sort of stuff. Well, um, you know, Australia relies heavily on uh, working smart, and they need to uh, get over there and uh, do a lot of training. So the best place to do that is to go over to the United States and, uh, you know, participate in exercise such as Red Flag. Well, 
at the moment. Uh, they've just come back from Red Flag, Alaska, and instead of sending some fighter jets, this time Australia sent over some wedge tails. That's right, mate. We've sent over fighters. We've sent over transports. This time we sent over some um, airborne early warning and control aircraft, the E-7A wedge tail, the 737 airframe with the big dorsal uh, radar unit that sits up on the uh, back spine. Uh, just starts to uh, above the trailing edge area of the wing and goes back towards the vertical stabilizer. Uh, very impressive aircraft. I have had the uh, total fortune of being allowed to go on board one of those when it was on the ground. Wasn't allowed to take any cameras or recording gear, but uh, was part of a group when I was up in Darwin for Exercise Pitch Black and we got to go on one at RAF Base Tyndall. Very privileged to do that. I was very impressed. Uh, very cool aircraft. Now, these two aircraft staged out of RAF Base Williamtown and headed across the Pacific. Uh, in fact, Grant, just like I'll be doing in a couple of weeks, and uh, they went across Ooh. to uh, Elmendorf there over in uh, in uh, Alaska, there near Anchorage. And uh, good to see them out there doing uh, some exercises there. According to their officer commanding uh, 42 Wing uh, Group Captain Anthony Martin, uh, he's saying that they were controlling, in fact, up to 60 aircraft in some of the uh, strike packages that they were coordinating. Now, uh, that's uh, excellent practice for the operators uh, from the Royal Australian Air Force on board that aircraft. And, uh, you know, they can bring that invaluable experience back here to, uh, you know, help uh, with our own uh, aircraft should the need ever arise. Very, very valuable training. Indeed, mate, indeed. And uh, speaking to some of the uh, air combat officers, both with the Wedgetail and uh, other guys on the ground, I uh, found out that I believe it was at one of the other red flag exercises at Nellis, uh, a Wedgetail actually uh, wound up getting so-called shot down and uh, control had to uh, automatically switch over from the aircraft to the guys on the ground, which happened flawlessly. They said it was a great test of the uh, capability, although uh, not so great for the um, embarrassment of the folks on board the E-7. Yes, and I'm sure they've, they've probably just quite lived that. No, they wouldn't have lived that down even now, would they, Grant? All these no, it was still being mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> yes, lucky that uh, it was out in the, this week's uh, Air Force magazine, which actually just came out today, which is uh, always a great publication put out uh, every couple of weeks by the Royal Australian Air Force. And uh, if you go over to their website you can actually subscribe to that for free well worth a look definitely mate definitely but uh, something I don't think will be in the uh, Air Force magazine is an update about the Army's Tiger ARH the armed reconnaissance helicopter Uh, their uh, full flight mission simulators have just had the absolute latest bees knees look out the window visual simulation uh, graphics put into them there's a photo here in this article we find in australianaviation.com.au and Grant it looks like there's two huge bubbles inside this uh, facility here at uh, Oki up in Queensland which is the Australian Army's uh, aviation centre and uh, yeah this is uh, really high tech stuff I don't really know much about it Grant I know it's been put in by Talus Yep, Talus have been responsible for setting it up, mate. And uh, yeah, it's it's like imagine if you took a normal airliner simulator with its big hydraulic rams and things like that, but instead of having just a little bit of a you know, where they have the bulge around where the cockpit would be to handle the graphics, this thing's in a sphere. And that's pretty much because when you're in that uh, simulated cockpit environment, you can be looking all over the place. So the graphics and visuals and so on have to be able to represent the 360-degree view you have up, down, and around. Yeah, really interesting. In fact, um, it'd be one thing to get into a to a uh, fixed-wing aircraft flight simulator, but uh, you know, not that I've ever even attempted to fly anything vaguely like a helicopter, but uh, I'd say that would be the safest place to put somebody like me and any other nugget that's uh, certainly in learning to fly helicopters, particularly the uh, Tiger ARH. Mate, I think that's probably enough for uh, this week, don't you? Because uh, we've got to get ready for all the things that are coming up, like, as you alluded to, your trip to the USA. 
Absolutely. So uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll have an Ausdesk next week, and uh, you'll have to find a, a substitute for the next uh, week after that, Grant, because uh, me and Mr. Vanderhoof, well, we're going to be living it up in Las Vegas. So there you go. Oh, you mean we're not going to Skype together on and, and all do everything live with the geeks on the Tuesday morning? No, absolutely not. Uh, you know, David and I will be too busy uh, <coughs> working for the, oh, you know, for the for the good of new media. You just don't want to hear the shiching shiching in the background as you're sitting at those slot machines, right? Yeah, yeah, that'll be the last place I'll be going, that's for sure. Anyway, enough talk about my holiday plans. Until next week, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. Hey, I reckon we should practice up some, uh, you know, five-card stud to get you ready to go at the high tables. We we should practice up some card counting. That's legal, isn't it, in America? Anything's legal in Las Vegas. I think pretty close.